0: It is your money, and welcome to the big show. We have with us, as always, Bruce Helmer and Peg Webb with the Wealth Enhancement Group, and today we are talking about life insurance. Welcome to both of you. Happy to have you on this week, all of us together. Peg? Good morning.
1: Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Susie.
2: We'll talk about Susie this. Susie Jones, thank you. Sorry, Susie, thank you for the... Uh introduction and the welcome. <clears throat> good to be back with you. Peg Webb, always good to be with you also. And Susie, Susie, you nailed it. We're going we're gonna to talk about life insurance and I can almost feel people turning their radio station to another channel. No, Please no, don't. don't. Stay, yes. <laughs> stay with us. But, you know, I, I'm being somewhat facetious, but Peg and Susie, the reality is nobody likes life insurance. Nobody wants to talk about life insurance. But September is actually life insurance awareness month so we would really be remiss if we didn't talk about it sometime this month and the other reality is listeners life insurance is an integral part of comprehensive financial planning nobody likes to think about their own mortality nobody thinks wants to think about leaving this world but the truth is we're all going to do it nobody here gets out alive we're all going to leave this world someday and you need to plan for that. And there's people dependent upon you and your income and your financial resources. What happens to them when you leave this world? I know it's not a pleasant subject, but it's something that if we're if we're really doing our financial planning, Peg, we have to talk about this. So hang in there, folks. I promise it won't be. Uh, I, I I promise it'll be worthwhile if you stay with us, Peg.
1: Yeah, the other thing, Bruce and Susie, is um, we'll take any and all questions. If you want to call the studio line six five one four six one nine two two six, just in case you have something other than insurance. But you're right, uh, Bruce, that insurance is is truly important, and just in my experience, just like you emphasized, people just. Why would you want to talk about leaving this earth, right? But you have to think about it when you um, deal with your comprehensive planning. (laughs) So when you think about life insurance, sometimes it's hard for people to think about others, right? Because number one, you don't want to think about you dying. But yet the idea that when you're doing your comprehensive planning, that always comes up. You know, who has the, um, who's going to pay for the funeral expenses? Do you have any mortgages? Do you have some um, wishes and wants? Do you, you know, maybe your kids haven't gone to college. How, are get, how is somebody going to pay for that? And how would that impact a retirement for somebody that you left behind? So insurance has this uh, ongoing benefit that I would call a peace of mind. And it goes along with, and you're gonna hear me say this a lot today, is it's a piece of your comprehensive plan. Um, it can't it can be done in isolation, but it's when we meet with clients, it's actually easier like when we get our arms around these clients, and um, then it's easier for us to suggest now we know what's important to you, we know what your values are. And life insurance is just kind of an easy thing to implement once you know those people. So, Bruce?
2: Yeah, you know, and a couple, and I know there's a lot of things to get to on our outline, Peg. And um, before we jump in, I just want to share a couple quick things again. I'm aware of the fact that people don't want to talk about life insurance. In fact, People that that sell life insurance, I think the perception of those people in society is not high and it's not good. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but I think that's the reality. Uh, I may have told this story on air before, but I remember one time when I was working with a prospective new client, and their situation was such that they had a family business and everything that they said, everything they told me, the key to their planning was to pass this business on to the next generation and to keep this a family business you know for multiple generations and Just based on their circumstances, it was very obvious to me that life insurance was one of the things that we had to talk about, so we did, and we're sitting there in, in the meeting, and they're smiling and nodding and saying all the right things and then after that meeting, they wouldn't return my phone calls, they wouldn't answer the phone. And I'm 99.9% sure they 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 didn't want to talk to me because I talked about life insurance, although they didn't say it to me, you know, at the meeting. So I just think there's this negative perception. But again, if you just think about this logically and don't think about what it's called, if you're a parent and you have children or you you have a significant other and you care about the people after you leave this world, I don't know how you not talk about life insurance. So again, we recognize the perception is not good. We recognize people don't want to talk about it. But as comprehensive financial planners, Peg, we're not doing our jobs if we don't talk about it.
1: Yeah. And there's so many common um, misconceptions about life insurance. Number one, it's too expensive. So when you're creating a budget and you look at the cost to protect you know, your loved ones, in some cases, you're just saying, this is just way too expensive. But a lot of times, people don't even go and get a quote. They just have it in their head that it's expensive. And so um, for the younger generations, for example, like a $250,000 20-year level uh, term policy for a healthy 30-year-old costs about $200 a year. And then when you you know divide that into monthly, it's a drop in the bucket. In some cases, it's a coffee, you know, <laughs> where you stop it get. So you, you have to actually have it as a priority um, to investigate, you know, how much would it cost. And then so many employers have life insurance as part of our benefit package. And so many employees think that that's the they don't need any more than that. Um, But there's so many people now that have dual incomes and they actually both have some life insurance. But rarely if one of those people pass away, is it going to be enough as a lump sum for decades of time? that you are losing the resource of having, um, your income. So sometimes it's too difficult to buy. I think today it's easier than ever to go get a quote online. If you needed some term insurance, um, you know, shop, uh, call your financial advisor. There's lots of resources out there. Um, and so I mentioned, um, the cost of life insurance, Of course, if you're younger, it's going to be a lot cheaper because the insurance company will gather your premium for many more years than if you're older. Uh, And so, Bruce, I think there's just some misconceptions out there about why people just don't take the first step.
2: Yeah, in addition to what you said, and again... Um, we know people don't like to talk about it. We know they don't want to buy life insurance. We know, you know what, Peg? people don't like insurance, period, not just life insurance, but kind of all insurance. Insurance, And I've always contended it's not that they don't like the insurance. They don't like the insurance premium. They don't, they don't like yeah. paying for insurance. But again, when you think about what the dollars are going for, whether it's your homeowner's insurance to protect yourself from a from a storm or a fire or you know a tornado or a hurricane or whether it's auto insurance or health insurance or life insurance, you're protecting an asset. You're saying, what if something happens to this life, to this home, to this car, and 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 you're and you're taking on a defined, palatable cost, presumably, to protect yourself against a loss that you couldn't afford to absorb if you did not have protection. So it's not insurance that people don't like. It's the cost of the insurance. And specifically with life insurance, Peg, when you talk about misconceptions, one of the things that I actually talk to people about is they think of life insurance, I think, as death insurance, dying. I have to die for somebody to get this money, and I don't want to think about my own mortality. But it's not called death insurance. It's called life insurance. And there's things actually that you can do with a life insurance policy that might be economically efficient while you're still alive. You don't necessarily have to die for anybody to get any value out of it. One of the best books I ever read, or the best book I ever read on the topic of life insurance, and I'm expecting our listeners to want to go out and read this because this is pretty deep stuff uh, you know, for financial advisors and, and people in the financial services industry, but Years ago, I read a book called The Economics of Life Insurance. It's by Dr. Solomon Hebner, the last name Hebner, H-U-E-B-N-E-R. And it really opened my eyes, Peg and Susie, about the possibility of things that you can do, the economic benefits of life insurance, even while you're alive. And I'm sure that's where I stole the quote. It's not called death insurance. It's called life insurance. So life insurance can even have equity or a cash value, if it's some sort of a permanent policy, where you can use that money while you're alive to reinvest in something else, or to pay for things, to buy things while you're alive. There may be tax advantages. Um, and then you compare and contrast that with just term insurance, which doesn't build any equity. So the age-old debate, maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves in the outline, Peg, and I apologize, but... But people always argue, okay, if I, if I grudgingly admit I should get some life insurance, what kind should I get? Should I get term or permanent? And the answer is it depends upon the situation and the individual circumstances. Term insurance, you're going to pay less premium for the same amount of death benefit because it doesn't build any equity. But that premium is going to go up over your lifetime because as you get older, the cost goes up. Permanent usually locks in your premium. Because there's extra premium going in early when you're younger, and that extra premium goes into some sort of investment or, or, or creates equity or cash value in the policy, and that cash value can offset some of the increasing costs as you get older. So there isn't a right or wrong answer on how to do it. And again, at Wealth Enhancement, we're comprehensive advisors, we're fiduciaries. So we're going to, if if we think you should have insurance, life insurance, we'll tell you and we'll help you determine what's the most efficient way for you to acquire that insurance if you agree with us that it does make sense. So again, misconceptions, misconceptions, nobody likes it. Mm -hmm. Um, We're fighting kind of an uphill battle in this discussion, Peg.
1: Yeah, and I, I would say here's a couple questions that I ask people, especially if they're new clients that are interviewing us is, um, I, and they kind of chuckle, I go, is there anybody out there that you care about? You know, and, and they kind of laugh, like, well, of course there is. And then that starts the discussion of who would suffer, you know, if something happened to you? Do, are you what what percentage are you of the financial contribution to the family? And then a lot of times, Bruce, what I see is, um, you know, clients that are, getting ready to retire, or they're in retirement, that's when people start to say, "Ah, I'm feeling pretty financially secure. You know, my kids are launched. uh, They've started their own lives. Uh, We don't need any more, you know, uh, lump sum to fall on us if something happened to us. And then especially you mentioned Bruce, term. So term insurance is for a period of time. And so what I find with our clients is when they do come up at this retirement age and they're paying a term policy, well, you know, they're in their 60s. So it starts to become expensive and then it drops off. But you mentioned also, um, you know, permanent insurance where you, you're, it's, it, it's a combination of term but also investing. And so you can put a premium in this policy, and you can actually build some cash value. And then you you will feel like, oh, I still have something permanent out there that if something happened to me, and this is even if you're in your 60s or your 70s, it's possible that it makes sense for your family as a whole Once again, if you have things that are important to you, more so people are talking about the grandchildren, you know, they're saying, well, my children are okay, but you know, I'm so worried about these grandchildren, the cost of things, and look at the world the way it is today, you know, I want to do something for that next generation that I feel like um, (laughs) that Bruce, most people, you know, they have a vision of how awful things are going to cost in the future. And I would say the number one thing that clients say is, I'm so worried about my grandchildren. And so life insurance can actually play a part in trying to plan for multi-generational, you know, wealth that you hand down. Bruce?
2: Peg, I think it's so smart, the road that you just went down. Um, and, and I'm going I'm to take that baton and, and run with that a little bit. So the, the traditional reason why people get life insurance, we talked about it already today. Maybe you're, you're newly married, um, you have young children, you have a mortgage, and you think, I, I, I want life insurance because if something happens to me, I want this infusion of capital for my loved ones. But as you said, Peg, I get to a certain age and maybe my kids are launched, and they're doing fine, and they don't need any money. Maybe my mortgage is paid off. Maybe I'm retired or close to retirement. And I get to a point in life where something happens to me, the survivors are economically fine. So we don't need the life insurance anymore. But where you just went is another reason why we often use life insurance as a legacy planning strategy. Life insurance can be an extremely efficient effective tool or strategy to leave more to loved ones, to leave more to your kids and grandkids and your favorite charities. It's a very effective strategy where we we generally recommend it or use it or talk about it is when we've got a client that we know that their assets are such that they're never going to be able to spend all their money. They've got more money than they're ever going to need. And if legacy planning is important to them or charitable giving is important to them, we might say, let's take some of the excess and put that in the life insurance and leave an income tax-free benefit to kids and grandkids or your favorite charity. Again, whatever it is, but it's not going to detract from your lifestyle. It's not going to give you extra money necessarily, but it's giving extra money to something that's near and dear to you and it doesn't detract from your lifestyle. Oftentimes, Peg, it can be distributions or withdrawals from the IRA. People say, if I leave my IRA to my kids, I'm leaving them a tax lien or a tax burden, but if I take withdrawals from my IRA and I pay the taxes and I use that money for a premium on insurance, my kids will inherit the life insurance income tax-free and I'm leaving them a better asset and I'm leaving them more money and it didn't negatively impact my lifestyle at all. So the, the, the traditional idea of life insurance To protect loved ones when we're young is is one reason, but legacy planning is probably something I use even more because more of my clients tend to be older now, and they're not in those early years of needing protection when they're early in their relationship. Is that what you're finding also?
1: Yeah, let's take a real live example here. Um, I have clients that are turning into the required minimum distribution phase. Now it's actually 73 years old that you're forced to take some dollars out of your taxable IRA. And you still have to take those dollars out of your IRA and you have to pay the tax. But You're right. There's so many clients that say, okay, now what do I do? I'll just go reinvest that again. Or what should I do? Well, you could take some of that net dollars and put it into a life insurance policy like Bruce is describing. And it's really leveraging the money for the next generation, and why do I say that, Bruce? You hit it on the head. That life insurance is tax-free, not estate tax-free. Like if you if you're a, uh, have mega millions and you're over the amount that the government you know is going to let you die with tax-free, um, we also take another step and we put it into a trust outside the estate. So it's a strategy that's actually very powerful. And clients have so much satisfaction in knowing that, well, number one, they're not happy that the government's making them take IRA money out at 73. I've got many clients that had to start at 70 and a half, but the rules have recently changed and they have to continue to take it out. We do have to pay tax on the required minimum distributions, but the net proceeds then can be transferred into a life insurance policy either inside your estate, which is tax free from you know, taxes other than, uh, estate taxes. But if you're wealthy, then you may want to transfer that money into a life insurance policy outside the estate. So that's a great strategy, Bruce, that we, uh, utilize for sure at wealth enhancement group. If you can afford to do that, Bruce.
2: Yep. We, I, I know Susie, we're uh, kind of coming up to the end of the first segment. Um, so you know, Peg, let's let's think about you know what else we want to cover in the second half of the show. As I look at our outline, I think there's a couple more things we might want to get to, or a couple other points we might want to give clarity to. But um, we can also take any, like you said, Peg. We'll take any and all questions, financial questions. It doesn't have to be about life insurance. But Peg, last thought I'll throw to you. This is such a this can be such a comprehensive topic and go so many different directions. We could actually do multiple radio shows on this. People probably wouldn't want us to because they don't want to talk about life insurance. But I'm having kind of a hard time knowing how much to, to go, how deep to go today and what not to talk about today. Last word to you before we go to break. Key key things in the first half? Well, number
1: one, when people come in my office and I bring up the word insurance, they shut down right away. So there's just a a really bad reputation of life insurance. And so I almost have to start from square one with some educational things. So we'll talk more and give clarity on the backside here of some things you must know about life insurance.
0: All right. Reminding people, if you're listening, it is 651-461-9226. We have text questions coming in already, but if you are listening right now and you have a question, this is the time to text or call 651-461-9226. It's Your Money with Wealth Enhancement. It is Your Money. Welcome back to the second half of the big show. We're talking about life insurance as it is the 20th anniversary of Life Insurance Awareness Month, and we invite you to be part of the second half of the program at 651-461-9226. Bruce Helmer, Peg Webb, both with Wealth Enhancement, are back on our news line to talk more about what folks need to know about Life insurance, and we do have texts, and we do have a caller who didn't want to go on, but wanted me to pass along the questions. So I'll have you guys wrap it up, talk about anything you need to, and then if you want to answer some questions.
2: Thank you, Susie Jones. So, if you joined us late, listeners, as Susie mentioned, we've been talking about life insurance. Um, we talked about the fact that people don't like it; they don't like to talk about it, they don't like to think about their, their own mortality. Um, But we also talked about how it's an important part of comprehensive financial planning. If there's somebody in this world you care about, kids, significant others, and so forth, you probably need to look at life insurance. Uh, We talked about that uh, life insurance can be permanent or temporary, uh, permanent insurance versus term insurance. We talked about using life insurance potentially even while you're still alive. You don't have to die to be able to, to to use it. Um, and we talked about that the traditional need for insurance or desire to have insurance is when you're young, getting started, and you want to, you know, make sure that your, your loved ones will be okay if something happens to you. Eventually, that need goes away because you accumulate assets, you launch your kids, and if something happens to you, you predecease those people that are uh, that are significant others. They're going to be fine anyway uh, economically. But then we talked about a second reason. It's a very efficient legacy planning tool. It's a great way to leave more to kids and grandkids or charity or other loved ones. So, Peg, we talked about all those things. One of the things we did not talk about, and it's a question that I get a lot. So let's say I've got a client and we talk about the the idea of life insurance, and they actually buy in, and they say, yeah, you know, I thought about it, and I've been procrastinating. I know I should have more life insurance. I don't know how much to get. What's the right amount? How much How much life insurance should I have? How do you answer that question when you get it? Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, you almost have to go into it backwards. And what I mean by that is um, you have to kind of run some numbers, and we have to pretend, right? We have to create some scenarios. If you were to leave this earth, you know, how long would your family need financial support? You know, what are the ages of everyone? What is the, what is your um, budget? Like, what is your expenses now? Do you think that would continue in the future? When is the house going to be paid off? By the way, houses tend to be something that people think about while they have a mortgage and they want to have life insurance so that the family could pay off that house. Um, Is anybody disabled, You know, is there a grandchild or somebody that has special needs? Some of you may remember that back on June 18th of this year, um, our show was about special needs. And um, that replay, Charlie Massimo out of our um, New York office was our guest. And if you want to see, if you want to go to that show and... um, If you want to listen to something about special needs, let me just remind you, if you go to wealthenhancement.com, you go under insights, you go under Your Money Radio, all of our shows are there. So you can just kind of scroll and say, hey, that's a topic that I'd like to listen to. Maybe you didn't miss that. The other big one, Bruce, is how much debt do you have? I already talked about a house a house, you know, debt we're okay with because it kind of matches the value of your house. But do you have big credit cards and, and things that you don't have, some kind of backing? And then children's education and grandchildren's education. This is just the top priority of people that we talk about. So we try to tie, Bruce, um, all these things into what that amount would be. But there's no easy answer. This is, um, there's not like a clear cut formula that we follow so um, it's kind of more of an art than a science uh, once you get to know what the family's like and what their uh, values are and uh, things like that so Bruce
2: yeah and the the last part of that that was really good Peg the last part of that is you know as financial advisors I, I think about this a lot We give people all these great ideas, right? We're like, okay, well, you should be contributing to an IRA or a Roth IRA, and you should have some sort of educational account for your kid's education, and you should put uh, some money in the life insurance, and people don't have uh, an unlimited supply of money, so how do we prioritize where their dollars go? They have to budget, they have to prioritize, and it's entirely possible... Then when we look at life insurance, we come up with a dollar amount in terms of answering the question, how much do you need? And I agree with you, Peg, it's never going to be an exact science, but there's logical ways to try to calculate that. And it could be that you say, I don't have enough money in my budget to satisfy that need. So that's the last part of it. Then we say, well, how much can you set aside to to cover as much of that desired amount as you can? Knowing that you've still got to buy groceries and make mortgage payments and car payments and kids' dentures and you know or kids' uh, uh, braces and so forth, so we understand that you don't have an unlimited amount of money, and part of our job is to help you determine the most efficient way to use the resources that you have. And I don't want to turn this into a wealth enhancement commercial, but I do want to say, beg, this topic of life insurance, or again, anything that's really a subset of comprehensive financial planning, but today specifically we're talking about life insurance. The life insurance that you already have and you're not sure you understand it and you're not sure what you should do with your policy, should you surrender it, should you put in more premium, should you put in less premium, we can help you determine how to maximize the efficiency of your existing life insurance policy. That's one of the things that we do if you want our help and we're not even necessarily trying to sell you life insurance. We're trying to help you determine how to maximize the efficiency of the insurance you already have and tell you what your options are. And that's very common that we do that for people. On occasion, when we do that analysis, we might say, well, maybe actually you know you should a little more insurance. we think you're a little light and we show them why. And then we can help you get life insurance, And here's my plug for Wealth Enhancement. Again, I didn't want this to be a commercial, but I went through this personally. In 2017, for reasons I won't bore the listeners with, I decided I wanted to get a little more term insurance. So I went through the application process with Wealth Enhancement, and I actually went through two other carriers. I'm not going to say their names, but they're well-known insurance places, and and I applied through three different places. And wealth enhancement found me the best policy, the most uh, death benefit for the least premium, and it was the easiest underwriting. I didn't hardly have to do anything to qualify. Wealth enhancement is completely independent, we're not captive to any one carrier. So, whenever we have a client that wants more life insurance, what our team, our life insurance team, does is they actually apply with multiple carriers and they see who makes the client the best offer. And I went through that personally, and it was a great experience. Um, So we can help you understand the insurance you already have. And if you decide you want more life insurance, we can help you get it probably at more favorable terms and conditions than other places where you might normally think about going to get life insurance. And again, I don't mean that to be a a commercial. That's just the reality. And I experienced it myself. Peg, final words, and then uh, maybe we get listeners involved.
1: Yeah, I actually would love listeners to get involved.
0: Okay, I can jump in on that one. 651-461-9226. A texter writes, we are 73. How much income can we have in 2023 before we would have to pay higher Medicare premiums in one or two years? We file married jointly. Thanks. I know it's not a life insurance question, but it's a money question. No, that's fine. Mm That's fine. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, So for a joint couple, um, their income tax and it's called modified, uh, gross income. And I'll tell you what that is, but it's 194,000. So that's the first tier you go $1 over that. And you are going to be in the second tier. And what does that mean? That if you go into the second tier, each of you will pay about $100 more per month. So it adds up to a lot. So at Wealth Enhancer Group, we are so busy all the time trying to work with clients to keep them under that first tier if we can. I mentioned modified income, uh, growth income, and this is where there's a lot of gotcha on this, is our Social Security is taxed at 85% of it typically. You can get as low as 50, you can get as low as zero, but those people are probably not going to go over that 194. So you have to add that 15% back that you don't get taxed on on Social Security, if you have municipal bonds that are tax-free, you actually have to put that interest back in this formula. So it's not like you can just look at your tax return and say, oh, I'm under. You actually have to um, you know, plan for some of these gotchas when you're doing that number two. And I would say, Bruce, because it, if you get a dollar over, you're in a next tier, it's, it's, it's kind of hard you know, to make sure that you're accounting for every dollar on your tax return and think, okay, I'm good to go. But sometimes you may run over. And the good news is if you run over, it's only for one year would you pay that higher premium if you can get yourself under again the next year. Bruce?
2: Yeah, that's a great answer, Peg. I'm just going to go backwards a little bit and maybe give clarity to people that didn't understand the texter's question. So what they're talking about Medicare Part B. Medicare is broken into four parts. Part A, hospitalization, is actually free. But Part B, which is most of your insurance needs, there's a, there's, a, there's a premium or a cost that's based on your income. And as Peg mentioned, there's different tiers. So if you're a married couple filing jointly and your modified adjusted gross income is 194000 or less, that cost is 100 for Medicare Part B. That cost is 165 dollars a month. Now I don't have all these numbers committed to memory. Truth is, I've got a little handy tax cheat sheet in front of me right now that I'm looking at. But those those costs go 165, 243, 361, 479, 598. And if you're a married couple filing jointly and your modified adjusted gross income is more than 750000 your monthly Medicare Part B premium is $637. So I love the text question because, again, comprehensive financial planning. Part of it is to reduce our client's income tax liability, but we always talk about the ripple effects. This is one of the ripple effects. What is your Medicare Part B premium? going to cost you since that's based on income. Peg mentioned another ripple, the taxes that you pay on your Social Security benefit. So again, almost no one, if you're retired, A, can figure all this stuff out without help, but B, even if you could, is this really how you want to spend your time at retirement? Our clients tell us they want to pursue their passions. They want to travel. They want to golf. They want to fish. They want to hike. They want to spend time with their grandkids. They don't want to monkey around with all this stuff. They want to delegate it to somebody that they trust to take care of it for them, to simplify their life and give them peace of mind. And that's you know what we think and what we hope we're doing for our clients when we talk about comprehensive financial planning. Susie, let's get to more questions if we can. If the, uh, You said somebody called in, didn't want to go on air. What was that one?
0: That was Dick from Edina. He wanted to know, can capital gains wipe out most of what's in his account? How can he avoid losing money on capital gains.
2: So Peg, uh, capital gains taxes.
1: Well, so um, capital gains is uh, obviously uh, you're fortunate, right? Because if you have capital gains, it means that your asset that you hold has gone up in value. Um, The negative of that is that the capital gains, if you were to sell that asset, the government is going to want a piece of that. Today capital gains is at 15% there well, there's a couple tiers. Again, we've got tiers. There's a zero capital gains. There's a 15% capital gains and there's a 20% capital gains. And depending on it, you know how much you sell, how high your income is will trigger 0, 15 or 20. Um, the good news is, but it's kind of bad news, Uh, The law still says if you die with an asset that you have capital gains in it, it will reset to zero capital gains for your beneficiary or your heir. So I hate to tell you, Dick, but one thing you could do is you pass away, right? Then there's no uh, capital gains to pay. The other thing we do is we strategize if it's a big number, you know, we try to work with you once again, here's the tax return, the Medicare premiums, the blah so many gotchas in a tax return. But we work with our clients to say, well, why don't we just sell a little bit every year? <clears throat> Secondly, you can gift those shares or that um holding to a grandchild or something, and maybe they're they pay less tax than you would pay to sell those assets. So I I find, Bruce, sometimes people think they can only gift cash when you can literally gift shares of stock that maybe you bought so long ago, and then they would have to complete a tax return that might be at a much lower bracket than you are.
2: Bruce? Yeah, really quickly, and because Susie says we have a call on the line, uh, but just I wonder if Dick wasn't confusing two different concepts. Because capital gains isn't going to quote wipe you out. The, the tax, if there is tax, only applies to your gains, not the total dollar amount. And the taxes can never be more than what you earned on the investment. So I'm not sure what he meant by being wiped out. I wonder if he's confusing that with um, maybe estate taxes or something else. But capital gains rates are actually usually lower than ordinary income tax rates. And again, you're only paying tax on the gain, and so you're still going to net more money. You're still going to be in the green or in the black. The taxes are never going to be more than what you actually made on the investment. Susie, let's take the call.
0: All right, very good. We have Bill calling this morning from St. Croix. Bill, good morning. Thanks for jumping on.
3: Yeah, yeah. good morning. Yeah, I, I, I'm 87, I have a revocable trust. I have cattle and land and stuff, and uh, I... Uh, in, in eighty-seven, I don't know about. It. I did get some life insurance a few years ago, and I decided it was as much as uh, I would get if I paid it right up, and I could probably just take interest. I don't know. I'm, but yeah, I, I talk about life. In fact, uh, my wife wants uh, to be cremated, and I, I want my neighbor to drag me out, shoot me, drag me out, and let the buzzards eat me. Oh, but he geez. said it made me busier. Than that. <laughs> No, but the revocable of a trust. And I always figured my cattle were my life insurance or my property. Or uh, I got a hundred head of cattle. I'm 87. Yeah. I still do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
2: thank you. Hey, thanks for listening and thanks for the question, Peg. I think one of the things he, he might be talking about is the idea that instead of life insurance, what if I save or invest? Can I accumulate as much money as the life insurance death benefit would be? And my answer would be that that's possible, but it's probably unlikely because you'd have to get probably a certain rate of return on the investment, but then you'd also probably have taxes on the investment, whereas the life insurance, as you mentioned earlier, is income tax-free, so the life insurance would still net out to higher. So. Um, I think that was part of his question. So it's possible to do that, but probably not likely. But again, we would do that analysis before we'd recommend the life insurance. You want to add to that? Yeah,
1: I think, Bruce, uh, hard assets like cattle and the land and the house you live in, those are types of things that um, you know could very well be tax-free when you die you know, if you have this trust. And so I think... The, the caller Bill is just saying, that's what I was counting on, you know, as the legacy for, for people. And, and if there's any tax, then maybe they have to sell a couple acres or a couple uh, cattle or something like that. So I would agree that that is part of our analysis. I can't say, Bill, whether that's the best thing for you unless we were to, you know, look at your entire situation. Bruce?
2: Yeah, but he's got a revocable trust, and chances are that is the right legal document for his circumstances. Just make sure you keep that thing updated, Bill. If you haven't had it reviewed, say, in the last five years, I'd go see your your attorney and make sure you get a review of that revocable trust. Susie, we have time for one more?
0: Sure. 651 six, two, two, six. This texter writes, can you please address life insurance for someone who has, for example, a pre-existing conditions such as a high risk for cancer, for example. And we have two minutes left. Peg? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's tougher
1: today than ever to qualify for life insurance underwriting. Um, We're finding that not only in life, but like long-term care insurance and, um, you know, other kinds of insurance. Permanent insurance, I think it's harder to get than term insurance. Uh, The only thing I could tell you is uh, recently a client actually made me aware of this that there might be something through AARP that you can get, uh, so make sure you research online if there's anything, even if it's a small amount that you might be that you might qualify for that you don't know you qualify for. Bruce,
2: yeah, really quickly, you, you're right. Uh, life insurance you have to be underwritten. The insurance company can deny giving you coverage, or they can rate you up and charge you more. But there's also something called guaranteed issue insurance. If you're healthy, you don't want guaranteed issue because you're getting thrown into a pool with unhealthy people. But if you're not healthy and you're struggling to get coverage, there may be guaranteed issue insurance out there where you can still get it. And, Susie, I know we're about out of time.
0: We are indeed. We're nearing the end of the program. If you are someone who did not get your question answered this morning, please jump in and call them directly at 1-888-86-ADVICE or you can always email your question to your money at I'll say that once again. Your money at That's the website to call and get in touch with. Or one advice Ladies, gentlemen, it was a wonderful hour and we look forward to next weekend. Have a good week, guys.